I'm Professor Shane Greenstein, and you're listening to the Harvard Business School Digital Initiative Seminar, a premier seminar series that hosts thinkers and scholars who are pushing forward research on the digital transformation of the economy by conducting and connecting with cutting-edge leaders, equipping leaders, and building community, the Digital Initiative seeks not just to study, but also to shape digital transformation. To learn more, check out digital.hbs.edu. Hey, thanks for coming. Um, uh, we're, we're delighted to have Bebe Lee, Bebe Lee yeah. uh, coming from Carnegie Mellon. Um, and uh, as usual, let's go around the room and uh, introduce ourselves. And let me see, I'll give everybody an opportunity to swallow what you just ate. Uh, so, so I'll say, <laughs> I'm Shane Greenstein from the Tom unit. <laughs> I'm Homo from uh, Strategy, but um, I know Bebe from NYU. Vahidu with Business Analytics Program. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Bao Hua Zhou. I'm actually uh, the visiting scholar from the Brooklyn Center of Internet and Society. I'm, uh, I come from the Fudan University in Shanghai. My major is Digital Media and Society. Hi, I'm Diane Williams. I'm a computer scientist and EdTech entrepreneur in AR and uh, alumna of Sloan and Harvard. Dave Hama, I'm the director of the Digital Initiative. Grace Lu, doctoral student in the Tom Unit. Yale Disraeli, Marketing Unit. Mike Wells, doctoral student in Marketing Unit. John Dayton, Marketing Unit. Hello, everyone. Um, <laughs> Thanks for inviting me, and thanks, Shane, for the introduction. I'm Bebe Lee. I'm a assistant professor from Carnegie Mellon, and uh, I graduated from NYU Stern School of Business, and I had a lot of overlap for years with the home. Um, so it's a great pleasure to visit HBS today, and, and, um, and, and this week turns out to be our spring break, so when phone asked me, I said, no problem. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's, uh, it's great to present one of our recent work on mobile trajectory-based advertising. This is a joint work with uh, Anindo Ghosh from NYU and uh, Suyuan Liu from Penn State. Uh, as we experience today, mobile technology and location-based services are changing the way how we live and shop today. Uh, according to a recent study by Pew Research, 95% of individuals in this country own a mobile phone. And among them, over 70% of them check their phone more than 100 times a day, including me, myself. <laughs> and so consumers increasingly use mobile devices to locate and buy product, which has pr uh, pushed the revenue up to more than $100 billion by the end of uh, 2017. So think about the amount of time and effort that we spend on mobile devices every day. Mobile advertising, especially location-based mobile advertising, has great potential. A recent study in 2006 showed that 47% uh, of users would be willing to provide their location information in order to receive relevant offers and a discount. And 76% of users actually agree that location sharing can provide more meaningful content. So because of that, they're willing to share their, their location information to trade off for a better digital experience. Right? So as we can see, also there is to some extent a privacy concern in this space. Uh, most users, majority of the users, still open to the idea of trading off some location private information for a better digital experience. So as a result, the total value of real-time uh, mobile location-based advertising has grown more than $13 billion in the, in the last of eight, uh, of five years. 
And according to a new research by Juniper Research this year, they predict that um, the mobile coupon users will reach more than one billion by the end of this year. So as we can <coughs> see, there is a great potential in this space, and that's basically the focus of our research context here. And many of us have probably experienced yeah, question. question. So whenever I use an app and ask me, like, can I share, can you share location with me? I click yes, not because I sort of, I want any, I, I'm thinking about anything about advertising, but I'm thinking about, oh, if this service really, really needs my location or something, like Uber or, right. or dating app or anything, right? Right. <laughs> so, um, how, how should I think about like, that kind of willingness to share location simply just for uh, the, the app services uh, mm -hmm. in terms of potential for advertising. Right, so that, that's actually one of the, 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 the major context of sharing a location in terms of a mobile app. Mm -hmm. um, there are also other, the other kind of contexts. Uh, one of the examples I will introduce later for this study is not necessarily you using an app, but when you connect to a Wi-Fi, for example. Okay. The Wi-Fi localization system kind of also attract track your location GPS information. So that's another scenario. So in, in different types, uh, people are evaluating this kind of, there's a small trade-off uh, in terms of the privacy and, and the value. And in general, as we can see, the majority of users are still waiting to opt in for this kind of service. Right. So many of us probably have experienced that there are different types of mobile location-based advertising. There, there's uh, geo-targeting, geo-fencing, and geo-conquesting. So geo-targeting is a more general type of location-based advertising where the ads is targeted based on your current location. So if you are near Starbucks or in Starbucks, we will we'll send you, the advertiser will send you a Starbucks coupon. And geo-fencing is a little bit specific type of uh, geo-targeting where the ads is triggered based on some predefined distance range. Right, so this is widely used in offline retailer store or shopping mall. When you walk within a certain range of the store, the ads will be triggered and sent to you. Uh, Geoconquesting uh, is, is an interesting new type where the advertisers are trying to steal each other's customers by sending a coupon to a customer when they can detect this customer is within a close range of their competitor store. So Starbucks will, in this case, send a coupon to a customer when they detect the customer is close to a Dunkin' Donuts store, for example. Right, so um, very interesting uh, different competition scenarios. So one common feature of all these location-based advertising is that the mobile advertisers are able to leverage the real-time location and context information about the users in order to provide a better digital experience. Um, previous research has looked at different perspectives of the individual's real-time location and context and time information. Right? So for example, this uh, previous study by Goshen Han and Monitor and his co-authors have a look at the geographical location information. They find that real-time location information indeed matters when you try to design an effective mobile ads. And an, a recent paper by Shaving Go and his co-authors have looked at beyond the spatial geographical location, time also matters. So the interaction between time and spatial location information can significantly improve the effectiveness of ads. And more recently, um, Michelle Andrew, Shaving and Nindo has looked at the consumer's current context information. They find beyond spatial and time, um, the context of a user also make a difference, right? So, but specifically, they look at the crowdedness of the environment. They conducted a large experiment in the subway station in Shanghai, 
And what they found is, interestingly, if you are located in a crowded environment, um, you're more likely to respond to a mobile app. The reason being that uh, when you are surrounded by strangers, everybody, to avoid social awkwardness, they tend to look at their phone instead. So apparently, that's the optimal timing for advertisers to target you on that. Uh, <laughs> right, so, uh, and a few recent studies look at the weather impact and the temperature, etc. With respect to, to, to <coughs> location-based outbound advertising, how much of that depends on explicit opt-in? So, um, majority of them are depends on the opt-in. So, if you if you turn off this this whatever the permission, then they won't be able to track you. And for the Wi-Fi case, you have to opt-in to link to the Wi-Fi to be able to track. Right? I'll mention that in a moment. In, in a moment, right? right so. If you think about all this existing approach of mobile advertising, basically the advertisers mainly look at static snapshot information about your current location, your current time, and your current contacts. However, given the new development of mobile technology and the sensor technology per se, actually businesses today are able to track not only where you are right now, but also where the customer has been in the past. So we call this a mobile trajectory. Basically, your location GPS trajectories over time at a certain green level, right? So fine green or coarse green level. And we call this uh, mobile trajectory data, and as, as well as the associated context information related to that mobile trajectories. So if you think about this, this is an analogy to the online clickstream data that we have been collecting and uh, and analyzing in the last decades to understand consumers' online behavior and the decision process. We believe such mobile trajectory data actually allow us to better understand consumers' decision process and behavior in the offline physical world. Especially if you think about in the physical world, consumers incur a much higher search cost. So these kind of data would allow us to actually they actually provide more informative uh, uh, insights to us to understand consumer preferences and, and try to, to understand the decision process. I know it was a few years ago when Foursquare was just ubiquitous and it seems to have died because in terms of people voluntarily letting me know like where I shop, where I eat, where I go. Is mm -hmm. it just because that's a closed wall environment versus you being able to get this general data? So, so in Foursquare, it's a little different in that sense because you're sharing your location to all your public social network, etc. So in this case, you kind of they're not sharing to other people, but they're kind of collected by the advertiser or data collector at a third party, and then they could be used in an anonymized way. Right. So there's a little difference in this case. So basically, we believe such mobile trajectory data can help us better understand consumers' preferences and decision process, and this is the main focus of this research. Right? So basically, the fundamental question we're asking is, can we better understand and improve user decision making by analyzing the fine-grained mobile trajectories? Right? So specifically, here are the three research questions that we're looking at. First, can we extract consumer preference uh, from large-scale, fine-grained individual mobile trajectory data. And the second, can we design a new mobile advertising strategy that can leverage not only the static location context information, but also your full trajectory information? And the third, finally, how do we know whether this is effective? Right? So how can we measure the causal impact of mobile trajectory-based advertising on consumer shopping behavior and the business revenues? 
So here's a quick summary of what exactly we did in the study, in case you have to leave a little earlier. Right? So um, to achieve our goal, basically, we designed a new mobile trajectory-based advertising strategy by using uh, state-of-art machine learning techniques, specifically uh, spatial and temporal data mining techniques, to extract user behavior characteristics from different mobility dimension of the users. And then to evaluate the effectiveness of this approach, we conducted a large-scale randomized field experiment in a large shopping mall in Beijing, in the city center of Beijing. This is a pretty popular shopping mall in Beijing. And that gives us uh, over uh, 83,000 unique user responses and from two, uh, 252 stores over two weeks period. So we basically replicate the same experiment for, for 14 days. Okay. So what do we found? This is the main findings. First, we find this new trajectory-based advertising strategy is much more effective compared to several benchmarks, right? so including random targeting or uh, current location-based targeting. This is basically the industry state-of-art approach, where if you are near Starbucks, we send you a Starbucks coupon. Right? So we find this trajectory-based advertising actually outperform these base baselines in terms of leading to a higher redemption rate of the coupon and higher money spent in both focal advertising store and the overall shopping mall. Um, higher satisfaction rate from the users and faster redemption actions. So people tend to claim the coupon faster in, in a sense. Right? We also notice um, when we look at the focal advertising store's revenue, we find it always benefits from the uh, trajectory-based advertising. It shows the potential of designing a, a better designed behavioral targeting. Um, however, if we look at the overall shopping mall's revenue, this is on a higher uh, scale level revenue, we find there exists significant heterogeneity. Right? So basically, on average, trajectory-based advertising still leads to a higher performance for the overall shopping mall's revenue, but we notice it becomes less effective during the weekends. Right? So this is kind of interesting, and after we look into the data further, what happens is during the weekend, most shoppers actually don't have a clear mind of what to purchase. They go there without a planned purchase. So most of them are exploring the shopping mall. As a result, during this exploration process, they incur a lot of impulse purchases. However, if you target them with a pretty closely targeted behavioral ads, like trajectory-based ads in this case, it may constrain the scope of exploration for, their, for the explorers during the weekend. So that's sort of a leads to a less effective during the weekend. So the lesson to learn here is that for mobile advertisers, um, you have to design the, very carefully the right type of a mobile ads depending on the exact scenarios. Right? Is, this a, a, <coughs> is the location inferred from Wi-Fi? Because presumably this is a roof shopping center, and so you're not using GPS. So, so this shopping center is kind of an indoor shopping center, and then there's a Wi-Fi localization system already employed. This is like an airport, you have this free Wi-Fi. So people walk in and you can opt in with the Wi-Fi. So what, what, what level of precision does that give you? With respect Pretty to precise. So based on our discussion with the IT department, they can basically locate you in a three meter by three meter range. So it's pretty, pretty precise, right? right. Um, the other thing we found, quite interesting is this trajectory-based advertising strategy is especially effective in attracting high-income customers. So this is actually great news for mobile advertisers. It shows a potential for a very well-designed behavioral ads 
to in terms of attract high-end customers for their lifetime value. So this is basically is a quick overview of the findings of this, this work. Right? So this work related to mainly two streams of literature. The first stream of literature is related to mobile and location-based advertising. Right? So I won't go to too much details here. We already covered uh, a lot of these. Um, I want to just mention a couple of words about the last two studies by Sam Hui and his co-author in 2013. Basically, they look at the relationship between in-store travel distance and the likelihood of consumers incur a unplanned purchase. They find a positive correlation. So it turns out if you walk longer in-store, the more likely you're going to incur a unplanned purchase. We find a very similar uh, evidence in our data as well. So basically, we find that during the weekend, people tend to travel longer compared to the weekday, the weekday shoppers. Um, so there's a higher likelihood for them to incur a unplanned purchase. We also notice for customers who are treated with the trajectory-based ads during weekend tend to have a shorter, dis uh, shorter travel distance compared to the other treatment groups. So that somehow helps us to pin down the, the, the reason for that. The free paper is in the supermarket, correct? The, this is uh, for the supermarket, yes, grocery stores, yeah. And the second stream, second stream of literature is on the methodology side. So basically, the way that we detect similar consumers, which I will talk a little bit more later on, is based on a community detection method from machine learning and the computer science literature in general. So um, people are using to, to, to use different type of method to detect a, a community. Right? So basically, there are two major ways of detecting a community. The first one is to use a social graph. So this requires us to have social details, social network um, data at individual level. Unfortunately, due to data limitation, we don't have this data in, in our case. So our method is more related to the second type, where we detect communities of individuals based on individual behavioral traits or trajectories in this case. So we, we're trying to identify similarity patterns within that trajectories. So the uniqueness of our method is we look at a multi-dimensional perspective of the trajectories and look at different perspectives of these. Right? Yeah, so this is all walking, is that correct? Correct, yeah. most of them are walking, maybe a little running, we, we could detect the speed. <laughs> <laughs> so none of the mobile uh, literature in this vein has been about driving. Um, there are some recent working paper on looking at uh, taxi drivers, GPS locations, oh, that would yeah, be I driving, yeah, yeah, yeah. And here you don't see them before they show up. So we don't, yeah, we, we can only see them after they link to the Wi-Fi. And is that true of the other work too, that's mostly uh, somebody shows up and then they can get tracked? Correct, uh, correct. Uh, so it's very small spaces. In, the, in this case, the mall itself is relatively large, but you're right, it's only within that mall. We're tracking, this is basically indoor tracking. Right, right, right. Okay. There's a potential extension, if I have time, I'll, I'll mention a little bit. We're partnering with another mall in Shanghai. They allow us to track individuals beyond the mall as well. Basically, we could link, if they visit multiple malls or visit the hospitals or some other place we could link with based on the device ID. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I do know of the walking technologies uh, been used in hospitals, but mm, for employees, mm, uh, mm. it's a, a very different context. It's not for selling anything. It's mm -hmm. more for logistics and mm -hmm. other purposes. Right, there, right. There's lots of, lots of work in that. Right. 
but okay, just walking for the time being. <laughs> yeah, it's mainly walking in the mall. Yeah. yeah. yeah Hong, you had a question. I just, I just uh, not knowing the literature, can you tell me a little bit more about community detection? What does community mean? Yes, I'll, I'll mention that in okay. the next couple of slides. Right, right, right. So basically, here's a quick agenda of what I'm going to uh, go through for the next 15, 15 minutes. Hopefully, I can finish earlier this way. Majority of you will get the main idea. So I'll talk about how we detect community and what exactly do we mean com community based on trajectory-based clustering. And then how do we design this new recommendation approach? And then we, we evaluate it using a, a field experiment. Okay. Right. So um, we basically we're trying to model con consumer similarity using mobile trajectories. The way that we, we, we think about this is that we call it a great minds move alike. We're trying to identify similarity in people's walking pattern. Right. So how do we do this? We define a community here as a, a set of similar customers with similar patterns of mo movement trajectories. Right. So this trajectory here, you can think about it as a long time series data of GPS coordinates. At, at a very fine grain level. So in our case, we can track every 50 seconds we have your longitude latitude, uh, anonymized uh, longitude latitude. Right? And basically for the trajectory within the same community, um, we know these are similar customers with similar movement patterns. Right? And how do we define similarity in this case? Basically we define a pairwise similarity between you and me as a function of different aspects of individuals' mobility patterns. Right, for example, um, if we both visited a similar stores, like a women's shoe store, for example, they must say something similar between our preferences. And if two customers visited at a similar time, like weekend versus weekdays, or mornings versus afternoons, that's also an indicator of some similar, similar preferences between these two customers. Um, also, if we both travel at a very similar speed, Let's say we walk very slowly and we stop, by, stop time by time. That's an indicator that potentially both of us are exploring the mall. Right? So that also shows some similarity in our preferences and behavior. So the, the idea is we're trying to extract information from the raw trajectory data to see if we can try to capture as much as we can on these different uh, uh, consumer characteristics. And once we, we def once we derive this pairwise similarity score, what we do is we actually gonna build a clustering method. In this case, we use a graph-based clustering method to mine the communities from the users, right? The intuition is this. We build a undirected graph, right? Each node in this graph is an individual customer basically, right? And then there's an edge between two nodes, two customers, and there's a weight associated with this edge. So this weight of the edge between two customers is corresponding to the pairwise similarity score between these two customers. And the clustering algorithm is based on the random walk. So we start with a random node, and the probability of walking from one node to another is in proportion to the weight of the edge. So the intuition is if two customers, you and me, are very similar, we have a very high similarity score, then there is a higher likelihood the random walk algorithm will connect you and me because the weight of the edge between you and me are very high. Okay. So this basically is the, the intuition of the algorithm. Um, if we let this run for a while, it will converge to these kind of local clusters of similar users. So just give me an intuition. So if you walk in together and walk to the same stores and walk out of the same stores, then they're clustered. Mm -hmm. But if two people walk in, they know each other and meet, and mm -hmm. then they walk together 
Mm-hmm. They're, they won't be clustered or they will be clustered? That's a very good question. So next slides, I'll introduce, we actually consider different uh, perspectives and we're gonna weigh them to calculate the similarity score. So you could consider time and space and, and there are a yeah, few different okay. features that we need to consider. Right. Got it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, as like a family member, okay. So, mm-hmm. uh, are you, you know, uh, measure them as a such way? That, that's another good question. Unfortunately, we we only see these individuals as anonymized. We don't know the offline relationship, right? Um, in one of the ongoing work, we're trying to automatically detect social groups. So that's also very doable. Actually, if your family members, you're likely your trajectory are highly in line, right? So that's, a, that's something we're, we're currently working on, right? But you're not, expli- you're not exclusively depending on time of, uh, on, how can I put this? Uh, obviously, if a family is moving as a family, it's going to be at the same place at the same clock time. Mm-hmm. But you're inferring similarity not necessarily from uh, from that, but from exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that will count for to some extent, but we also look at some other other dimensions. I'll, I'll get there in the next two slides. But you could exclude people who are working, walking together, so because the inference about about preference may not generalize across the, fam- the whole family group. That's true, um, but in this case, because we cannot tease out the family group. We, we kind can of because of time, because it was coincident that they're in the same spot, the same time. Right, but we sort of consider if uh, if your time are in line, you you might also share a similarity in terms of preferences, right? So here you kind of ignore the family case, right? And, and you only get people with phones. We yes, so you that's don't get true. Babies or children. Right? <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I, actually, it's a, this, we, we we do we have, have a different <laughs> <laughs> We have a strong preference too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So okay. So how do we measure similarity? This is the interesting part, right? So basically, we measure the pairwise similarity between I and I prime two customers in the following way, right? So first. We think about the spatial dimension, we, we discussed a little bit, right? So physical location is actually a critical cue that mobile devices can identify in users' environment, which can influence heavily their behavior and decisions. From previous literature, people are showing that consumers' location choices are actually indicative of their product preferences. And the previous work on mobile advertising also showed that location has a significant effect on consumers' reactions. So we consider the spatial dimension in terms of specifically the distance between two customers over time. So we call it a spatial alignment. This is the over time distance. And importantly, right, so think about locations like Starbucks. These are just in general, these are popular locations. So if for these kind of locations, if we observe two customers show up at the same time, this may not be that informative in terms of telling people's common preference because everybody likes it. But in the other case, if there is a very niche store, like a high-end jewelry store, for example, if you observe two customers both visited there, then there's a much stronger indication for the common preference. So to account for the popularity of the store, we, uh, we, we sort of inversely weigh the crowdedness of the environment of the store, so, uh, and then try to sort of inversely weigh this popularity. This is based on a very similar idea from tax mining, people call it TF IDF, this is a very similar ideas. Right? This is the spatial dimension. The second dimension we consider is a time dimension, temporal <laughs> dimension. So basically, previous studies show that time 
can activate different goals of individuals. <coughs> and time of day can also significantly influence consumer purchase decision. And the previous literature in mobile advertising also show that the interaction between time dimension and location dimension can significantly have an impact on consumers' decisions. So the way that we model time dimensions, we look at the starting point and ending point of the trajectory. We also look at the time of day and the day of week indicators. This is the time dimension. Um, the third dimension we look at is, we call it a semantic dimension. Basically, this is trying to capture the context of the real time. Okay? Um, so previous literature has shown that user context beyond location and time the real-time context and the surroundings of the users can affect their purchase decision and their response to advertising. And consumers tend to use their purchase decision to exert control to their environment. Right? So basically, we're trying to capture this environmental issue, uh, the, the, the factors. The way that we model this is we, we, we are trying to capture the stationary distribution of individuals' visit probability to each store. And we also try to capture the time spent at each store and the transition probability from store A to store B and the time used to transit from store A and store B. Basically, we're trying to build this graph of all the stores and capture the real-time relations on the context. The last dimension we consider is the velocity dimension, the speed dimension, because previous psychological theory shows that the observed speed of people's movement can affect individuals' perception of time duration. So the, uh, how fast you move can affect your psychological time perception. And which will also in turn affect many aspects of individuals' cognition, action, emotion, and decision process. So from an economic perspective, the time value of money can also indicate individuals' opportunity cost. Right? So uh, we would, we would uh, imagine that if a people travel or walk very slowly, he might have a relatively low opportunity cost, very low value of time. And so we believe the speed can also indicate, to some extent, individuals' economic preference. So we basically look at the speed of their walking uh, activities and normalize by the travelers. So these are mainly the four dimensional dimensions uh, features that we co collected. And so for the temporal aspect, do you consider the sequence of visits? Like if two people, because you control for the time of the day, right? But mm -hmm. if two mm -hmm. people go into the same shop and they visit several same stores, but not in the same sequence? Yeah. To some extent, we do. It's captured by the semantic dimension. Right? We look at the some, somehow the transition probability from one to another. So there, there's some sequential matters that we are trying to control. So you do allow for different sequences? We, we do allow for different sequences, but if you're in the same sequence, it will be counted as a higher, somehow higher weight to, to okay. yeah, because, down that. because Because that's going to give you a higher similarity when we measure the semantic uh, dimension. Yeah. Right, because sometimes people see like this store is really crowded. They right, then they may avoid that. Yeah, that's, that's possible, right, right, right. In semantic, are you, so uh, I'm just trying to understand those last sentences, transition probabilities from site A to B and mm -hmm. time span. So if I were at a American shopping mall, mm -hmm. I would think a lot about anchor stores. Is this, in other words, the large Macy's sitting at one end and the large, mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, you know, who, who would be at the other, Nordstrom's at the mm -hmm. other end. Mm -hmm. And time spent there would be a very key variable, uh, and you would worry about foot traffic in between. 
-hmm. So is that what you mean in those latter sentences? Or do you mean something else? So time, so, so time spent to try to be basically, how long do you need to travel from Macy's to Nordstrom in this case, right? That's, that's what right. uh, falls under semantic. Right, so falls under semantic, right? So that, that somehow captures also affected by the store locations of the mall itself, right? Um, but later, because this experiment is kind of a randomized cross group, we believe that somehow that location factor, the store um, layout mm -hmm. effect would be canceled out, hopefully across the treatment effect. But, but here, whatever your, your semantic distribution would be affected by the layout. Okay, so yeah. let me try another version of the same, there's another version of the same question. Mm -hmm. If there was a movie house in the, mm -hmm. uh, in the shopping mall, you, mm -hmm. one would think that uh, people who spent a lot of time there are somehow different from someone who spent a lot of time at the anchor store. And I'd want to mark that and understand that. That's right. That's right. right. That's and right. Is that also under semantic? That's right. So that, that's a goal of trying to capture that. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And also, the other related case would be some people may transfer from movie to a restaurant. Some people may transfer from movie to yeah. a women's store. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. that would be comfort to different type of uh, people. Okay. Yeah. Right. Got it. Right. Um, so I think I understand but my question is, uh, when when do you, uh, if you can give us a better idea of when do you use this? So is this, mm -hmm. I run a, an experiment on everyone and then in the end I, I figure out, oh, me and Mike were very similar, so mm -hmm. something different, or mm -hmm. do you do something to predict based on our initial entry right. to the mall and based on the, because right. um, I would imagine when you think about the trajectory, then you want to. You need something to you start need different with. Different treatments yeah. for me and for someone that is completely not similar to me mm -hmm. when we enter, right? That's the point. Yeah, so I will probably clarify that a little bit when we talk about the experiment, but short answer is. We didn't do it right at the beginning when they walk into the store because we do have to collect some data to know which topic it belongs to. Right. So this is very similar to a recommender system kind of approach. We waited for the first 10 minutes to avoid some code start, and then we start start recommending it's them. That happens on yeah. the run. So yeah, walk, it's on the run. You observe me, and then you figure yeah. out who am I similar to, and you yeah. give me different, uh, you serve me different advertising than you would to someone yep. else that is yep. different. Yep, and the exact timing is random. Basically, after ten minutes, we start recommending this at a random time. Yeah, Mike, you had a question. Yeah, this is also very interesting. Um, so I guess it's a similar-ish question. So I'm just trying to wrap my head around kind of like what's the hypothesis that you're interested in kind of drawing out of this? Is it that kind of like here's the taxonomy of the things that you think the are the main factors that might measure similarity, mm -hmm. and you're trying to understand like which ones matter and how much, or is it just kind of like you want to organize the data somehow, and you're just interested in the aggregate effect of targeting relative to not targeting? So in this specific case, it's more to the second, but during this actually, here we also can learn the weight of each dimensions, right? So basically, you could come up with a similarity score within each dimension, and then we can run a machine learning model to learn the weights. Basically, the weights tells you how important each dimension is. Um, so here, actually, it turns out the weights are relatively similar in our case. And then in the main analysis, we just assume the alpha, which is the weight, are equal weight across four dimensions. Right? But in different scenarios, maybe you expect them to have different, probably slightly different weight. But in, in this case, they're relatively similar. Right? Can I just mm -hmm. follow up the question? So if you random, so suppose there are a thousand people getting into the mall, and then you random the timing in terms of the treatment, mm -hmm. 
and then sort of does your learning say like 20 minutes after actually it's also based on some of the treated group who are already oh, uh, moving based oh, on oh I see I see yeah so to clarify yeah. we have a historical pool of previous users yeah. in the last year okay. so we kind of learn these groups using the historical the users yes, yes. and then we kind of just treat the new users afterwards so okay, so basically, after we have all the four dimensions, this is how we calculate. It's a weighted combination. That's a that's a pairwise similarity score, right? So quick recap: we start with individual trajectory. There's a time series data, and we use this black box to extract all the features, um, and then we calculate the similarity within each dimensions, and then we use a weighted combination to calculate a pairwise similarity score. Once we know the similarity score, we run a graph-based clustering, the random walk and to identify similar users. Right? So, for everybody. so we did this for all the historical users for last year, basically. Right? Which was how big? Which was pretty big. That yeah. was like over, oh, I would say over 20, probably 50,000 users. And then you did pairwise, so 50,000 times 50,000. So we, we did a sample of that. I okay. don't believe we, we used it for everybody. But, it, yeah. but because it's pairwise, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's, it takes a long time, it takes yeah. a long time. But this is only one time calculation, so it's not too bad, right? right. Well, not too bad is a relative term. Yeah, yeah. so, <laughs> so just based on your answers now, all of our previous questions about family or friends that are traveling together matter less in the sense that if you compare me not to someone I just came in with, but to historical That's true too. Uh, people, That's, and, and yeah. maybe you might serve me and someone I just walked in with slightly different ad, so maybe there's like, you know, some treatment, like um, spillovers. Right. So, us, but it's not that you're trying to compare me to my current group, but to to the historical group. Like. Yeah. And we we did we did randomly select new users. There's a very low Obviously. likelihood. Yeah. <laughs> there's a very I think there's a very low likelihood we randomly select these two treatment users happen to be in the same family. For that trip, I think oh, that's very low likelihood. Right, so right. you're less worried about these. Yeah, kind I of think that's less spillover. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, okay, so and then the recommendation approach that we provide is based on a very standard recommendation system approach called laboratory filtering. Right, the idea is we recommend a consumer stores or products that are most frequently visited by similar customers. Right, so mathematically speaking the ratings of a customer for a store J is uh, calculated based on the weighted, um, weighted average of similar customers I prime weighted by the similarity between I and I prime. This is a very standard approach for a recommender system. So now the million dollar question is, uh, does it work? <laughs> so we run a large scale randomized experiment in a shopping mall in Beijing. This is the one major shopping mall in the city center of Beijing. Right? So it's uh, pretty large. This is not the picture of the mall. <laughs> for privacy concern, we can't reveal the identity of the mall. <laughs> but this is just another picture where a similar setting gives you a sense of the setting. <laughs> Right. Um, so a little bit uh, details about the mall. It, it's a pretty big one. It covers uh, 1.3 million square feet, and uh, with a uh, affiliated stores of more than 300. Um, on a normal day, it attracts about 100,000 visitors. 
Um, on the holidays, like Chinese New Year, this number may double or even triple. So it's a very popular um, law. One unique feature is this mall has a, a free Wi-Fi localization system already implemented. So the way we did is, at the entrance of the shopping mall, when, when the shoppers walk, walk in, they are asked to uh, survey whether or not you want to enjoy this free Wi-Fi. If you want, then you, you kind of uh, fill up a very short demographic forms, like some age, gender, income, range, certain, certain features we asked. And, and once they connect, we can start tracking them. So based on our historical data, there are about 75%, 70 to 75% of users opt in to use the mall. The reason is in, in, in China, in Beijing, this mall specifically, the data plan relatively expensive, and also the environment, like airport, if you don't link to their Wi-Fi, your signal is very weak. So most people actually choose to opt in to connect to the Wi-Fi. Um, and at each store, upon purchase, we also ask them to fill up a little bit more details about the purchasing information, whether or not you use a coupon, and how much you spend, and some additional information to validate their demographic information, make sure they're not lying about anything. This is a visualized uh, sample data <laughs> that we can, we, we can track. So the different colors basically are the two trajectory groups that we detected. Right? Basically, these are two major patterns from the sample. And as we can see, we, we can actually identify people are going upstairs and downstairs. These are shops upstairs, downstairs. <laughs> right? and, and some people are just going up directly. That's because the upper floor are the food court. Right? Um, and these are two types. <laughs> right? um, the, the basically, just an indicator for two groups, two, two communities that we detected in the sample. So these, they are, they're slightly, so the, the blue ones are kind of walk around more generally. The red ones kind of just go up and they go down, kind of a more, a more straightforward. So that's the result. That's, that's one of the results where you just visualize it, right? Um, to evaluate the effectiveness. Do you have a sense of how many people knew that they were being tracked and like kind of how granular they thought that was? Mm, you mean how frequent or how many? How, ma how many? Or both, like I guess I'm just yeah, trying so to guess. They're, it, yeah, so they're about 70% uh, 70, 70 actually opt in. For all these people, we can track them. And how frequent every 50 seconds? No, so I get that. I guess like when they opt in, I'm trying to get a sense of what they think they're opting into. Like, do they think they're I opting see, into? I see, oh, I gonna... see. There is, there is a consent form. Um, basically, we're, we're, we're telling them your, basically your location will be uh, tracked in an, an, an anonymized way. Right? It's probably less a concern. I, like I don't believe people would change the behavior significantly yeah. in this case. In China, I think this is especially less a concern. Yeah, is there a consensus within the literature on whether kind of the knowledge of tracking kind of affects responsiveness? Right, right. right. I would imagine probably, probably, but if you're if you already know that you're you're tracked yeah. all the time, so probably less. And most of this, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I think most of this That's true, that's true. Kind of, that's true. Um, things that you can't really do in other places. That's true, yeah. Actually, 
another follow-up study here is that we developed a privacy-friendly approach of doing this this recommendation approach. Right? So it, it, it turns out that what we discuss with a lot of uh, uh, shopping malls and, and companies here, the one thing that do do uh, comes from the conversation is privacy, um, and and we can actually. We don't have to use all the raw data. We can actually use a masked version of all these to achieve even better goal, actually, it turns out. Sure, but, yeah. but for the question of whether uh, people would have behaved differently under knowing that cool. they're trapped yeah. or not, I think yeah. most of this data is, is, is under that kind of um, so they norms, so you, you can't really tease yeah. apart mm -hmm. if, if it's that people know they're being tracked or just, just how they do. Right, right. What's the response rate yeah. there? Like, once I, so I know I, I opt in and I bought something from Toray. Mm -hmm. what's, what's the response? What's the, what's the redemption response? Rate response? Was for me to actually fill in the, 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 the additional form. So that's actually required in, in a lot of these malls. Uh, and you, you, mean the, you mean the first uh, demographic forms. That's also that required. So they have to fill it up. Some, some phone numbers, and they, they can receive this, um, this whatever, this uh, verification code. And then there's some additional um, age, age uh, gender kind of uh, is required. So for the purchase, the, um, the salesperson actually you have to fill up this form in, in the store. In most of the shopping malls, they ask you to fill up this form. Right. I'm just curious about the 28 percent of the people who don't opt in. Is it uh, is it because I, I don't know it's something that they value privacy or their price incentive at incentive. Mm -hmm. What do you go? Uh, insensitive. That's what I'm trying right, to use. Right. Whatever. Meaning, in other words, they don't care. They they'll pay right. a full five dollars for their coffee. They don't need a dollar. Right. There is I'm a possible. Sure. I, I totally agree. I think that's a valid point. I totally agree that that twenty five percent of users may have some significant difference from this whoever opt in. Uh, I think that's less a concern in our study because we kind of compare across. The, the, the four groups, so which sort of, if there is a self-selection based on text heavy or price sensitivity, for example, we believe that could possibly be canceled out across the treatment groups. So, um, and, but but I, think, I think that's a valid concern. Um, in, this, in, this recent, uh, um, in this recent partnership with the Shanghai Mall, actually they have the IoT and the camera sensor instrumented in a mall. So that's less intrusive, per se. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, where are the other way? <laughs> right, so, so it's kind of a, a, a norm uh, these days for all the shopping malls trying to capture uh, the, the fine-grained trajectory <coughs> information. Right? So okay. in, in that case, you would imagine to get 100% opt-in, yeah. right? right. Okay, so, <laughs> right, so technology is definitely moving much faster. Have you, have you seen the movie The Minority Report? Yes, I yes. definitely see it. I'm sure yes. you've heard it a thousand times. That's it, the most horrifying part of the movie. It, it, a lot seconds. of these are happening today. Yeah, a lot exactly. Of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, so here's the, the, the treatment design we had. We have three treatment, random coupon, and the coupon based on purely the current locations. And then the trajectory-based recommendation, that's our treatment, that's our design. And then we have a control group doing nothing. Right. Um, I'll skip some of the details. Basically, we assigned about 6,000 users for, for each day, randomized them into four groups. And we get uh, 250 stores involved in this experiment. And we also randomized the coupons that we send in terms of both discount level and the type of the design. 
and we waited for 10 minutes to start the treatment. And we also forbidden to, this is still a SMS message, and it can only be used by one phone user. You cannot send it to a friend and share it. Um, right. And we did some follow-up survey to ask about their, their whether or not the user recommendation was a satisfaction, et cetera. Okay. Right. So what do we find? Um, so first, how many how much variance is there in the in the uh, the advertising? Is there a different message for every one of the two hundred fifty-two stores? So for for the advertise, basically the ads are designed at a store level. It's not like a product specific. Right. Basically, so go to the store. Two hundred fifty-two. Right. right. So and then there is a set of offers. There, there's there's basically. I believe there's two different discount levels. There's a, there's a buy one, get one free, and there's a buy one, get two free. Basically, that's like 50% off and 33% off. And then we tried two versions of it. One is buy one, get one free, one is 50% off. This is trying to manipulate the, the different design. Um, and then we sort of randomize this across the treatment groups. So there are at least 500 treatments, each store plus two levels of coupon. There is, that's, that's about right. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. I'm sorry, just before you jump into the results, so you, you're using a recommendation system because uh, I'm filtering. But you, so you showed us how you made the similarity groups. How did you, what's the R? What is the, what are the ratings you're using? Because if you haven't, sort of oh, oh, okay. Like, the rating is, here is counted as whether or not a visit is occurred. So if, if the, the user visited a store, the rating will be one. Okay, and so then you're going to use whether right. or not they visited the store as yeah. whether or not you're going to give them yeah. a coupon for that store. Yeah, and, and basically your your rating for the, the user I to a store J is a weighted combination of all the similar user rating. And then basically it gives you a probability of your visit. And then we rank this probability across all stores to this user and recommend the one that has the highest probability of visit. And so then T. T2, that's just your recommendation without taking the trajectory. Right, so T2 is basically looking at where you are right now. And then we just send the, the store that are closest to you, the, the corresponding coupon. But shouldn't one of your benchmarks be not using your custom trajectory similarities and just using mm -hmm. regular similarity between co like co-visiting of stores as your baseline? That could be. Uh, we didn't consider that here. So basically, the baseline that we chose is look at what the current industry state of art approach. And most of the industry approach is just look at your current location. We could, definitely we could look at uh, maybe a combination of some sub-dimensions sub, sub that we consider. Maybe okay. only the spatial alignment, for example. Right? I was Similar wondering, why do we need any of these advanced, like? Similarity measures. Why couldn't we just use? Oh, I know you visited these ten stores. Mm -hmm. Here's other people that visited these ten stores, mm -hmm. and let's do the good old-fashioned 2001 recommender system. Mm -hmm. And then, how does that do? We did have a robustness check by looking at what if we calculate similarity based on only the store sequence, and and we we didn't. I didn't show it here. We did find. I, we we did use that as one of the robustness check. Uh, that's probably close close to your. To your argument, but we find this is uh, this outperforms uh, that one as well. So I'm on the same track as Mike. I'm desperately hoping there's a simpler explanation for any <laughs> effects you get, because it seems like a lot of apparatus. So uh, 
I mean, just is, like, is there, a, is there a, a, a simple model that we get the same result? Mm -hmm. So, uh, mm -hmm. 10 minutes into the shopping trip, you, mm -hmm. you send a coupon to a phone. Mm -hmm. And that coupon is one drawn from, from 500. Is it, it's not drawn randomly, right? <coughs> it depends on which uh, treatment group you are at. Right? So, we do have a random group where yes, the coupon is drawn randomly. Right, so the T1 is a random group. That's one of the treatment. Yeah. That's that's our base baseline basically. And then we have a second treatment where we use it in the industry standard on the right. existing uh, cartridge. And there are how many floors to this? Um, I need to double check. It's okay. probably like six or seven so floors. Six or seven yes, floors. Yes. Yeah. So a, a very simple model would be a coupon from a store on the level that the person is at 10 minutes into the visit would have a higher probability of redemption mm -hmm. than a random one. That would not be surprising. Mm, well, well, I, I would, I would believe that the way that we capture, is in, especially the semantic dimension, right? So that captures to some extent of the floor as well, because if you're you're transit between floors. And that probability would change compared to people who walk on the same floor, right? So I, I think that that to some extent is captured. Well, I, I, right. I'm plausible that your model performs uh, well. I, I'm wondering if a much much simpler model mm -hmm. would perform as well. It, it's it's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so randomness is a is a well, control is is not much of a control. Randomness is a plausible mm -hmm. alternative uh, mechanism. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know something like geographic proximity is could, can be inferred from the trajectory measures. Right. It can be driving so, a lot of the effect of the trajectory measures. Right. right. So I, I agree. We could look at probably less fine grained. Maybe look at the, just the the, the co-visitation in the past. That's one possibility. Mm -hmm. um, that's something we did we did use. We we look at the sequence of the store visits to calculate it. The similarity. We don't have a treatment condition. We look at the similarity uh, between the uh, the clustering results. That, that's something we, we, we right. do. We do but in terms of the treatment conditions, the similar, more similar thing to what they're asking for is just the, lo the static location. Or like if I know where you are and I serve you a coupon for Right, but, but we, we actually calculate it based on the experimental results. So, so kind of do a post-processing, right? So right here, we could uh, recluster these users based on the simpler method, and then we compare the revenues. That's one thing we did in the robustness check, right? So, so look at here, maybe we can look at who, who could be clustered in the, uh, in, in the same, same group based on only the sequence of the, the store visits. Sure, but then they weren't serving coupon. I mean, I'm not sure how you would in a way that is convincing. Right. I understand right, you, right, you might right. observe them as right. a similar thing or right. a similar I, 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 I see the point. I think that's a valid point. We, we did some comparison on, um, so, so part of the reason that we also use a fine grain information is because um, some of the co-visitation um, also requires the same kind of data. It's, it's not really that you don't have to track this data to be able to know the co-visitation data. Sure. Right. Um, and the the advantage is you actually know more beyond that using this. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So um, basically, we first look at the group mean analysis. We look at the re redemption rate and the time uh, spent 
uh, further in redemption, as, right? So we find the uh, trajectory-based uh, recommendation can lead to the high, highest uh, uh, re the redemption probability compared to the other uh, benchmark groups and the fastest redemption action. We also look at the time spent in the focal advertising store and the money spent in the focal advertising store. It turns out people spend much shorter time in the, the advertising store but spend more money. It seems like they can make their purchase more efficient. The reason is that we, we believe is because um, these closely targeted behavioral ads can <coughs> fulfill your needs much more easily. And then after you are down, you kind of still have the additional energy and the time or a potentially budget to move on to explore the rest of the stores. Right? And then we did find that there is spillover effect to the rest of the mall, the total mall revenue is the highest from trajectory-based uh, um, trajectory uh, targeting. And also people tend to spend a little longer in, in the mall as well compared to the other groups. Wouldn't the simplest model be to give you a coupon for store A as you enter store A? Yes, that's, that, that's the T2, basically. That's the location-based. Right? That's the simplest model. Right? But then why is the time left to redemption much longer for T2 than because partly because I think that some sometimes people also incur randomness. So if you are happen to be in the store or near the store, you may not really want to buy anything from there. So that 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 may that may not be really behavioral targeting. Right? It's just happen you're just around. So that time spent is for people who are in the store in the two conditions, or that's like the average time among everybody in that treatment group. So this yeah. is the average across all these uh, fifteen hundred on one day. So we, we did also an average across a 14 day. Is it four minutes? For about four minutes, right. right. So they have to really just go directly there. Right? Yeah, so they don't spend a lot of time in a store. Right? So, 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 so maybe I, I don't get it, which is quite possible. Uh, so the idea is that we can send them a coupon if they're on their way to the store and they're going to redeem it with like a 31% rate. But once they've gotten to the store, if I give them the coupon, they're less likely to redeem it? So this second group, um, it may or may not be in the store. Basically, the recommendation is at your current location, and we calculate which store is closer, closest to you. Okay. Right? So you may not be in a store yet, yet, but if you're in a store, for sure, it's that oh, store. So then John's method is like, Geofencing or whatever you call it, like as soon as you're in the door, right. if that is a, probably a better location, static location based kind of right. That that could that could be another baseline that we should consider. And so if uh, you, if we can detect you are into the, but on the other side, the argument would be if you are already in the store, why do we still bother to give you a coupon? We might just lose lose revenue on it since you're gonna buy anyway. Right? Well, so. okay. I mean, I. I, I, I Every case of a company that uses beacons in mm -hmm. particular stores, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and their level of redemption is terrible. <laughs> it's an app plus mm -hmm. a beacon mm -hmm. to give you the coupon. So, even under those circumstances, and mm -hmm. think of a store like Target, which is one of their, their stores, mm -hmm. there's still you know a lot of slippage. Mm -hmm. uh, the coupon might. Well, your coupons are general to the store. Mm -hmm. Once you're in the store, you get a 50%. Right. I, I, I agree. So if you're in the store, then probably the recommendation should be at an even finer grain at product level. And in that case, there's definitely value to sort of uh, make recommendations when people are in the store, re recommend based on whatever products they, they're interested in. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. 
option to experiment with more than one coupon? You mean more like giving one person multiple? No, no. It's only only one coupon at most for for our experiment. Because you know, seeing where you're about to go with this. Uh, I, I see your point. So yeah. if there are the multiple choice, maybe there's some more revealed preferences in that case. Yeah, I, right. And yeah. Uh, and the interest of the uh, cooperating stores, the participating stores, and the interest of the mall aren't necessarily the same here. That the which is also kind of interesting to see. Mm -hmm. the, the mall benefits by having people stick around for a long time, correct, generally, correct. whereas uh, you know, with one, only one coupon, there's only one store, in some sense they get the lottery and the person mm -hmm. shows up, mm -hmm. uh, and not necessarily benefits anyone else. That's, that's an interesting idea. Potentially we could also try to maybe not recommend a top one, but top ten. Yeah, right. And just and there's a bunch of things yeah, you can do once you do more agreed, than one. Agreed. More than one actually restricts you quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't get me wrong, man. Sure, why, sure, yeah, sure. Why you did that, but sure. I I guess here we want a relatively uh, a, a, a relatively clean case to sort of get the sense first. And but then it makes you wonder where diminishing return sets in. You know, that's possible too. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, if you if you target too frequently, too that's much, another. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, one thing we notice is the location-based ads, so the T2 group is still better than random ads, so it's kind of not a surprise that random ads leads to lowest satisfaction rate. People just feel annoyed. And, uh, just one other thing to interpret this. Mm -hmm. This is unusual, right? So to a shopper here, they would not have otherwise previously experienced this. So they walk in, they're 10 minutes in, they get a coupon, mm -hmm. and uh, a month earlier, that would not have happened. That they. It's probably not very useful. Right. So yeah. they would yeah. interpret this as a uh, only opportunity they're going to get. Or, uh, or not, it's because this small, so visitors may not visit that frequently. So maybe once a year or once, uh, at least once half year or something, uh -huh. they may not remember even. Right? Well, and, part, and again, part of the reason they ask is because mm -hmm. it's like a sale. Right. But it's an right. unexpected sale right. and it's unlikely to occur again. So, so it, it, you have to act now. For many of these people, you have to act now. Mm -hmm. So that's going to push the numbers up a little bit. That's, that's uh, agreed. I think the redemption rate here is, uh, the is true. That's true the other one's true. Right, yeah, 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 right. That's correct. Right. Yeah, yeah. right. So in general, I think the numbers we see here is a, a little higher than usual. But I think given this context, it's understandable. Right, mm -hmm. right. Um, Okay, so we did a, a few additional analysis and, and to break the demographic subgroups. And we look at age has a negative effect. <laughs> Older people are less likely to respond, uh, which is expected. But interestingly, we find that high income customers actually have a pretty high response rate for the, the treatment, the trajectory based treatment group. And so it seems to suggest that the high income group has a relatively higher opportunity cost. So a closely targeted behavioral ads can easily fulfill their need and they kind of appreciate this a, a little better. Um, we did additional individual level analysis to understand the distribution of the treatment effect a little bit more as well. We look at the interaction between basically, uh, we model the probability of a redemption in a logic form and the utility is a function of customer characteristics, treatment effect, control variables, and interactions between these. Um, so what do we find? A quick story um, is... Can I stop you for a minute mm -hmm. um, before this? Um, so I guess what I'm perplexed by is what, what is the correct control 
because um, you know, with coupons, always the concern is cannibalization. Mm -hmm. So you went to all this trouble to mm -hmm. give me, based on Mike, Michael's historical purchase, to give me uh, a coupon to a store that you think I will go to because of Michael went there. Mm -hmm. And then you're comparing me to Hong, which we have nothing in common because she was a control. Is there a way to maybe think about comparing? I understand it's already outside of the experiment, but maybe tell me something about when I compare you to the people that look like you, that based on which I gave you this uh, mm -hmm. treatment, mm -hmm. then you actually spend more than the, because you might just mm -hmm. be giving me, you're serving exactly the coupon I want, and I will be spending more money without your coupon, mm -hmm. and this is actually harming the store, right? Mm -hmm. uh, then yeah. you don't really get exactly with your control. Yeah, so I, I think I think two points to that. I think the first one, um, I, I totally agree. I think there could be m more, probably we should explore a little bit more baselines in terms of uh, some cost-grained uh, analysis on the similarity and also some sub, maybe some sub-category of the dimension that we consider, instead of four, maybe we should consider separately or different combinations. That's something we have been discussing. I think that's a very good suggestion. I think, I think what she's probably suggesting, you can actually do within with the data. data, yeah, because suppose you can just like use like use your trajectory base two hundred dollars in Bed Bath and Beyond, and we have exactly the same trajectory. So mm -hmm. you expect you give me a coupon for Bed Bath and Beyond. Mm -hmm. So you want to compare my spending to her spending yeah. and mm -hmm. not to a random control. Right, right. That's what I mean. So right. it's a subgroup, sub. Uh, Which I, it's not. I so understand. Maybe so. Look, so maybe maybe look at. Maybe look at another category who have visited that store in the past or purchased that in the past without it. So I, I think to some extent the control group is trying to do that, right? Um, right. Right, but I don't think it does that because you went to all this trouble to give me a coupon based on exactly this like recommendation system, mm -hmm. and then you're comparing me to just random people. So around. basically the control group is a pure counterfactual case if we didn't do anything. Sure. That's right? And then we look at, this is the redemption rate, we did look at the total spending across that, the that four I groups. I, I'm, I'm just not sure. Right? So that, that kind of give you the incremental revenue increase, right? Um, but I agree that probably we could look at alternative controls as a counterfactual. So you're saying, you know, the, like total time in mall you're playing with, right? Like so total spending, total time across the groups. You're questioning kind of like whether the time in focal store or what's the um something well not just the time, but the spending. Because in the focal the, store. The, the main concern with coupons is that I'm giving it to people that are gonna buy anyway and I just Mm -hmm. cannibalize instead of incremental sales. Right. So that's, it, that's exactly what we, we look at. Right. So we, we did look at the total spending as well as an alternative outcome variable. We look at the total spending in the focal advertising store and the total spending in the mall as well. Right. So that gives you a good sense of... I thought you don't have that for the control. In the, we have in the previous table, you didn't have that for the focal store for the control. So this, the this is because mall. this is a redemption outcome. Because redemption, you have to have a coupon. That's why right. the control you don't have. But for the total spending, we do have. Right? So total spending, we actually have that because yeah. we are tracking everybody's spending. Yeah. So this, to some extent, gives you a counterfactual case of what if you didn't receive any coupon, what happens? Right? Um, so, so sort of. does that make sense? Sort of, but you, mm -hmm. you have 1,500 people in each condition and 500 possible coupons. 
I'm not sure I, I completely, um, yeah, I, yeah. I, just, I, yeah. I just have a I hard time ma making sure that, that, that it's really not uh, spurious or something. I, and I believe that your trajectory is doing better in all of those dimensions. Mm -hmm. I'm just mm -hmm. asking whether this is the correct comparison. Um, and we, we can talk about this offline. I, I was just... Yeah, we, we can probably talk yeah, it yeah. offline, but basically the, the point here is we are trying to look at your total spending with yeah, or without coupon. And also your total spending with different type of coupon. Yeah. Right. You could you could argue there are a lot of treatment in this case. Maybe we have a um, five hundred treatment, but we do have a large sample as well. We have, we have a eighty thousand, eighty three thousand, more than eighty three thousand unique data points. For because six thousand is for one day, and we have that for six fourteen days. So in total, we have eighty three thousand over eighty three thousand unique user responses across four treatment groups. Right. Um, and basically, the individual level analysis gives us very consistent results that on average um, the trajectory-based advertising works most effectively in terms of raising more revenues than location followed by random. And the weekend people tend to spend more than weekdays and the female shoppers tend to spend more as well. Uh, age has a negative effect but it's diminishing as well. We didn't find, interestingly, for focal advertising stores, there's a direct impact on revenue of focal advertising store. We didn't find significant interaction effect. So basically, we see that all focal advertising stores will benefit from the traject-based ads um, and across all subgroups. And there's no significant heterogeneity in the direct effect of mobile advertising on focal advertising stores' revenue, always benefit. But when we look at the total spending in the mall, that's a spillover on the whole mall level, we find that there is significant heterogeneity in the interaction effect, right? On average, still consistent. Trajectory works better on average. For this interaction effect, we find significant heterogeneity. Basically, consistently from the group analysis, we find trajectory-based uh, um, uh, advertising works less effective during the weekend, and random uh, targeting actually becomes more effective during the weekend because it helps to explore for the for the shoppers to explore. We also find male and high income shoppers tend to be uh, benefit more more sensitive to the um, uh, the good behavior advertising like trajectory based ads right? because um, previous literature find that male customers tend to be utilitarian oriented when shop during shopping, right? And a and a female are more hedonic oriented, so kind of right. Detailed question, when you do individual total spending, do you do all spending, or do you do yeah. all spending less focal storage? We didn't spending? do the latter. We, we yeah. do the, yeah. the latter is also very interesting. That's right, that's right. We should do that. It's yeah. on the to-do list, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then basically, the takeaway here is, when you look at the total mall level spending, there exists a significant heterogeneity, and we should uh, be, uh, be aware of that, right? There's indirect effect of the mobile advertising. There are additional analysis. I think I'll probably just skip a lot of these and then we can, we can probably have more discussions. We try to control for store level heterogeneity. Um, as you can see, actually, there are about uh, 15 categories of different stores. And the, the, the majority of them are dining and fashion, clothes, and grocery. These are the main categories seen in the mall. And across the three treatment groups, we find relatively consistent distribution of the category of the stores. So that's, that's actually a good thing, less a concern of a heterogeneity in the store. 
Um, we did do another post-processing for matching on the store level matching to level the distribution of the store across three treatment groups. Right? And, then, and we also look at the subsample analysis on only the popular stores. Look at the top 10 popular stores and compare the revenues as well. Uh, we did a store level fixed effect and, and random effect uh, analysis to understand this. And some additional robustness checks for separate analysis on each day, separate analysis on only weekdays versus weekends, and control for the additional coupon type, phone type. We, we, we actually observed their phone type, and then some credit card information as well. And we also look at the in-store uh, travel distance to verify our results. Right? Um, and some additional analysis on looking at where this incremental revenue come from. One interesting thing I found is um, after the, the customers are treated based on the interventions, the people who treated under trajectory-based ads tend to explore more product categories afterwards and compared to the random and the pure location-based advertisement and the control group, right? So this seems to be um, uh, evidence that the customers tend to be nudged to change their shopping patterns afterwards. Once they fulfill their shopping needs, they're trying to explore some new categories. I mean, this seems like they drive, uh, to some extent, the incremental revenues. Uh, we, we also look at when is a fine-grained movement data more effective. So maybe, uh, to an earlier point, maybe that's not all the time effective. Right? So we look at two types of shoppers, the more focused type of shoppers. Basically, when, when we look at the interactions, uh, the, the interventions, when the intervention happens, if they transit, between stores of the same categories, if they just happen to walk around in a women's shoe store, maybe that's like they're more focused in the consideration stage of buying a shoes. Um, if that's the case, we find actually trajectory-based ads work very effectively for focused shoppers. But if you are transit among stores of different categories, those are more like explore casual walkers, shoppers, right? Um, we find randomized ads is most effective in that case. It seems like help to explore. So definitely, uh, fine-grained data may not work all the time. Right? So we did, we did some evidence in some case, it's more valuable than the others. Um, OK, so um, I'll just give a quick summary. We, we, we designed a trajectory-based advertising, and on average, it works more effective compared to a few benchmarks that we consider. Um, we find it's especially attracting the male customers and uh, high-income customers. We find that the direct effect on focal advertising store is the highest. However, there exists a significant heterogeneity in the indirect effect on the overall shopping mall. Right? Um, the, in terms of a main contribution, we argue that we are able to extract consumers' preferences and behaviors from large-scale fine-grained mobile trajectory data. This is a new emerging source of data and, and, and using the statistical machine learning method. Uh, we are also able to design a new mobile uh, trajectory-based advertising strategy, and we designed experiment to, to evaluate uh, the effectiveness from a causal perspective. On a broader note, uh, we hope this work is among one of these um, new uh, first, first set of work that look at digitization of individuals' offline behavior, because we think this is very important and is an emerging field to look at, because it can allow us to understand better consumers' preferences and uh, for business decision-making. Right? Um, I will stop here. I think we already covered all of this, and happy happy to uh, to keep our discussion going. Does WeChat like, track twenty four hour day like mobile uh, like location? mobile location data? Yes, they do. Yeah, and actually, the new version of iOS 
if you don't disable the location, they're gonna track you 24 seven. And they actually can show you what are the popular place they, they do the digest to, to your activities as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So uh, this is really fascinating and, Thank you. And, and, and great. I get nervous about machine learning producing correlation results mm -hmm. that uh, so I, I always like to have a sense of the, the, at least the theoretical reasons why they might be causal. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. the four components that make up trajectory, the trajectory dimension, mm -hmm. um, appeal to me in that sense differently. So, so mm -hmm. uh, a cluster of store types, uh, you know, the, um, the, the kinds of stores visited mm -hmm. just intuitively seem like a, a, a good measure. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you did any work, you, 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 you described the, the, the four Ks, the four mm -hmm. weights to each of the dimensions. Yep. Did you do any work on trying to work with a subset of the, of the four dimensions? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great direction. We, are, we haven't done that yet. I think that would be very interesting related to the baseline discussion. Um, to look at maybe subset of, of it. Of, of the, somewhere buried in those, in one of those mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. components is, is something which is just correlationally uh, working. Mm -hmm. so, so you're saying maybe if we use a subset of it, it may, may not be that, that effective in that case. It just doesn't have an effect. I mean, if I were approaching this problem before I'd ever heard of machine learning, mm -hmm. I think the natural thought would have been to form clusters and store types. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been a lot of work over the years on and, you know, the store visitation um, types, a person will go on a fashion shopping trip or they'll go on a, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and that would have been the starting point. Mm -hmm. And I would have expected that once you start down that route of, of trying to find uh, store clusters that have psychological significance, that that work could go on for quite a long time and get mm -hmm. more and more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. In a way, the machine learning seems to step into the problem, solve it, and, and doesn't have, leave you in that same sense of how to continue your, your curiosity about the psychology of the process. Mm -hmm. So the way that we chose these four dimensions, we try to rely on previous psychological theories and economic theories. I saw that in the literature, right. right. Right, so I think that we, we are trying to avoid doing any ad hoc uh, feature extraction because a lot of deep learning uh, and machine learning methods tend to be pretty ad hoc. Mm -hmm. And we did try to fall back on some previous literature on that. Um, and, and but that's where the, yeah. you know, the literature, like the Huit paper refers to supermarkets. So mm -hmm. they're very, very different to models. They're all on one level. It, a it, it's a grocery store, part. yeah, it's a grocery so store. Yeah. Then the Batman work is you know, somewhere altogether else. It, 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 it just felt like the dependence on the literature didn't completely reassure me that this wasn't uh, you know, data mining. So, so it, in, one, in one case, I think this is also an, essentially a new phenomenon. There's not much literature we could actually cite. So it's a very new phenomenon. And we're partly of these is exploratory. I, I totally agree. Um, I think we are trying to explore to some extent what's going on in this space. And then to another extent, we're trying to do some sort of evaluation and see, hey, does it make sense or not? Yeah, right. That's I, I, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with your point. Yeah. So just sort of like building on that, I guess, mm -hmm. like thinking about how one might compare 
uh, sort of like a hypothesis driven, here are three things that might matter, mm -hmm. versus like a kitchen sink, like I don't care kind of what's going to go in there, mm -hmm. but let me just like throw a bunch of stuff in there, it'd be super interesting, either in this experiment, mm -hmm. by kind of trying to compare across the groups that thinking about like the marginal gain and what trade-offs there are, mm -hmm. or kind of the future experiments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also kind of wondered, like, I, like as they're kind of talking about um, what the benefits and limitations of using kind of like a simpler model are, like I, it got me thinking about like how how shoppers might adjust their behavior and like if you capture kind of part of like the margin of like I'm traveling more to try to trigger a coupon and like, kind of, you're, you're kind of that, it's yeah. a very strategic track like, 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 ten percent off. <laughs> Like if you kind of pick that up, and if you pick it up more in cases where you kind of give people like a simple yeah. thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an interesting idea. Actually, we could probably try to convince them all to do a gamification kind of design and see the longer you travel, you're gonna have more coupons or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. So I, I like. I think it makes sense for the heterogeneous effects for folks versus exploratory shoppers. Mm -hmm. But then, the, what, what what is the implication of that, right? Like mm -hmm. in the sense that mm -hmm. if I'm a shoe shopper, and there are, first of all there are not many shoe shops in the first place, so that the potential gain from like targeted advertising may be like limited in the first place. Mm -hmm. And second, um, like how long you have to learn wait until. Uh, you learn to make sure that I'm actually a focused mm -hmm, shopper. Mm -hmm. May have to be a little bit longer too. That's I true. don't know. I yeah. don't know whether there's a timing trade-off something. So yeah. I'm just wondering yeah. what is other what implications about the potential limit or cap. Yeah, it, that's a very good point. I think I think there's a there's a limitation here because so we cannot observe the whole trajectory make this claim whether or not this is focused. Otherwise, they're gonna leave and it's too late to do any treatment. So I think we have to adjust what, so ideally there's a potential research question here that when is optimal time to be able to sort of learn this person well enough and treat and do send a treatment, right? Mm -hmm. I, think, I think this is an interesting direction, right? But the, the question you really should ask is whether a coupon to a shoe shopper generates a lot of foot traffic. It's sounding like the answer to this is no, because you know of any work that's looking at sort of people moving from shop to shop and this trajectory piece and combining it with like cookie information or like online browsing, like they were on this website, they were on, they were on this website while they're at the mall, mm -hmm. they left the mall, they went home, they looked at these three websites. Like is there any work trying to bridge this or bring these two data sources together? Yeah, I think everybody wants to do that. <laughs> There's a technical challenge for that. Um, one technical challenge is how do you match these two users, right? So if the user doesn't have a VIP card membership or something with the store, it's very difficult to link his uh, online behavior because it's relatively anonymized. So some work, I know some work using machine learning model to try to detect maybe users online browsing if they're a shoe lover or a kind of special type of food lover, can you kind of match that with offline activities? Or, or there might be there might be some possibility to link the phone behavior. So if you have the phone device ID, um, maybe that allows you to link some online activity. Um, but I think this this would be absolutely fascinating if you could do that for business. That's going to be extremely powerful. 
but of course there's a privacy concern related to this, right? Right, right. We're, we're out of time here, so I want to thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much.